Welcome to School of Everything Else. The Second Coming. This is a two-part TV miniseries shown on ITV in 2003. It was written by Russell T. Davis, who would go on to jumpstart Doctor Who back up two years later, featuring the star of The Second Coming, Christopher Eccleston. This episode was commissioned by Rowan Carmichael, a long-time listener who admits this is quite patchy and messy, but is interested in our take on it. He considers it to be fascinating. So we're going to try to be as polite as possible. This story is about a middle-aged man in Manchester realising one night that he is the son of God and coming out to the world with various miracles, various things to say to all of humanity and demands for a third testament. In the middle of the film, he predicts Judgment Day for tomorrow. It's said in secret, but the word gets out and everybody panics. It's the man behind New Who doing Neil Gaiman as best he can. And Rowan, it turns out, we have got a take on it. So we begin in a nightclub in Manchester. Okay, so I had literally never heard of this at all. I, 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 it just wasn't on my map. We, I think we didn't actually have a TV. Like, that was, like, when we first got together, we never really watched TV, and so we never got a TV license, and so we didn't plug it into the aerial ever. We just watched DVD after DVD, and that's the way it's been ever since then. We occasionally try to watch stuff on the BBC iPlayer, but they've... Uh, quite justifiably made it harder over the years to... to mm. well, well, you you now have to have a TV licence to access yeah. iPlayer stuff. And I, I think that's absolutely right and true. You shouldn't, um, like, nick BBC stuff, which is effectively what I, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd mentioned on Twitter the other day the BBC is worth its weight in gold in terms of relatively calm, reasonably unbiased coverage of various assorted world events. And for that reason alone, I think... Yeah, the, worth uh, supporting. They're worth supporting. But this is ITV. <laughs> it is ITV. Who ITV also do catch-up. They are ad-supported. Have at ye. I don't know if you can access the catch-up service on ITV for free, but if you can... Yeah. You can, however... Go um, to. Uh, 
get hold of this on DVD if you so wish. Uh, it, uh, it did have difficulty finding a home to begin with because it was considered too daring, too challenging. and too Look, she's making a face. But, like, just describe this to a TV um, commissioning editor like Tony Hayes and just watch him go, no, no, Alan, no, I want to stay out of that whole, you know... Uh, Religious s- hornet's nest. Yeah. And uh, Alan's, well, monkey tennis? But, uh, yeah, no, this this took a while to actually find some traction. And, uh, yeah, eventually ITV. And it, it was controversial. It, it caused a lot of debate. And um, she's... She's doing this kind of like eyebrows arching thing right now. It's all great stuff for radio. You got to you got to express this vocally. I I would like to see what some of this controversial debate was. This is from, from the Guardian. He doesn't have a prayer. The second coming is the latest in a line of TV and film attempts to update the Christian story. Zealots will condemn the ITV drama. It's from the writer as queer of queer as folk. I did not know that. You didn't know Russell T. Davis did Queer no. as Folk? No. I don't watch TV. I, I don't have, care about TV. Re- Why must people insist we cover TV? No, I just, I, you know, I was surprised. You but it is far from blasphemy. Um, when he was six, uh, This is just basically a stuff about Russell T. Davis. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. Okay. Um, it actually reviewed fairly well. and People were, were, were pretty positive about it. And uh, it was considered to be quite thought-provoking at the time. Um I've never had anyone mention it to me, so when when, uh, it was mentioned, I was like, yeah, I guess we could have a look at it. Um, So Stephen Baxter is Christopher Eccleston. He is a totally normal bloke, and they emphasise that repeatedly. Um, He lives in... This whole thing is mostly set in Manchester. Now, we are recording this two days after the Manchester attack, so we're going to be kind. There's, like, what a shit state of affairs mm. although to be fair Manchester doesn't really do anything wrong in this movie true true it's just really weird horrible timing mm. however we will at least say that from where we are the, uh, the the actual city of Manchester coming together to be super supportive to each other that's heartwarming that's <laughs> that is the best of Christianity right there the ideal of Christianity and just um well, Jesus would be chuffed. Mm. That's all I'll say. Yeah, several faiths. In fact, there's been multiple faith communities that yeah. have turned out to to support. They had um, a, a group of uh, Sikh people giving out drinks and things and marching in solidarity. And mm. um, there've been uh, a lot of mosques and churches providing a lot of shelter for people who needed mm. somewhere to stay. And it, it, yeah, everything that's been said about how everyone in that area has really come out to they've been to exemplary they really other have. people yeah yeah so um this yeah this city takes place in manchester i believe russell t davis said the dodgy end or something along those love the dodgy lines. end of manchester <laughs> we said would be nice i know i don't know much about manchester honestly and i cannot um uh fault their uh, like i say their turnout so mm. uh, Although, I, I, one thing I will say about Manchester that did quite make me smile, there is one point where um, somebody approaches one of the characters and asks her 
uh, for directions to a certain location. Mm -hmm. And um, her response is, wow, you're like well out of the way of where you need to be. Um, And I sympathise because that happened to me once. I was trying to find somewhere in Manchester and I managed to end up in in a suburb of Manchester that isn't technically Manchester. From what I can tell, it's quite an easy thing to do. You ended up in Bromley. Effectively, yeah. It's quite (laughs) easy to wander out of actual Manchester to somewhere that looks like it ought to be Manchester but is a long way from where you need to be. Okay, so Christopher Eccleston, Malaketh himself, mm-hmm. the ninth doctor, yes. the guy from Shallow Grave, 28 mm-hmm. days later, yeah. v- capable of being very scary and and, um, and super intense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's out at a, is it a nightclub or a pub? It's a nightclub. He's out at a nightclub, it's grotty as hell. Um, and he's with his friend Judith, Judith Roach. And these are the two most important characters in this whole thing. Judith is, is uh, it's a biblical name, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, there you go. In fact, wasn't Judith, like, Life of Brian's, yeah, the woman in Life of Brian was called Judith. It's called Judith, yes. Okay. I will say straight off, Life of Brian, way better film about Jesus. Yes. Like, 500 times better. I will say this, right, <laughs> okay. Christopher Eccleston yep. is somebody whom I have... Respect? I don't want to say never. All right. Um, but I'm sure... Rarely? Rarely, there thank you, you. You might have to tell me when Slightly it's actually happened. Uh, seen him perform a role and convince me he's human. I was going to say, <laughs> he's got that Steven Seagal Martian thing going he's, on. Honestly, he just he looks like he's inhabiting a flesh form. Yeah. A relatively convincing one, but he's not entirely certain how all the levers work. All the Martians were like, we need some kind of head for this thing. Just put a potato on, it's yeah. fine. The bit where he goes out of the club, stands in the middle of the road, and there's this bright beam of light above him. Bear in mind, going into this, I did not know what it was about. Mm. I you thought it was him going back to his being... home planet. Well, not necessarily, but I did think he was being abducted by aliens. Right. Having said that, he could still probably outact us. All over the place. Yes. You know, he's a, he's a celebrated, credited guy, and uh, I do admire his work, even though he might be an alien. Um, Judith Roach, I've never seen because I don't watch TV. I don't watch British TV drama. I don't watch Casualty. Leslie Sharp. Leslie Sharp. Mm-hmm. What did I say? Judith Roach. That's the character's name. We have only this to go on in terms of her performance. Um, there's another fellow in this who comes in later, but we'll focus on these two for now, because like I said, those are the most important. So, um, Stephen uh, plucks up some courage, goes over to some uh, young ladies and goes, can I buy you a drink? And they laugh in his face, because he's just such a schlub. And uh, so he goes out feeling dejected. He sits with his friend Judith on the pavement. She's just got her divorce papers coming through. And um, to celebrate, they're a little bit drunk. And uh, they kiss. And then, does she go back inside? Uh, I think so. She goes to check on her friend. She leaves him alone. She goes to check on her friend. And then he looks up at the sky. And then a beam of light comes down. And he is snatched away. And that is the opening. Boom. The second coming. So I was like, all right. Um... And then we cut back to Judith, and it's, what, six weeks later? Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, and uh, she's just having a drink in the same pub or different pub? They all look the same. We'll say the same pub. It it's, doesn't matter. It's a different pub. And uh, she gets approached by Johnny Tyler, uh, played by Mark Benton, who you folks may remember. If you've seen the first episode of New Who, he was like the Doctor Who conspiracy nut who was, like, compiling data on Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> 
um, you know, having spotted him about the place. And so obviously he's a, he's a mate of Russell T. Davis. And for some reason, like, I thought when I first saw Doctor Who, that is Russell T. Davis. <laughs> it, of course, is not. But yeah. um, he, he's, a, he's a man that I oddly associate with Russell T. Davis. So uh, he sits down and goes, like, does he, like, introduce himself or something? He says, my name's Johnny. Um, and he starts having a chat with Judith. Judith is not, like, you know, she's been worried. Her friend's been missing for six weeks. And she's oh, a bit half Oh, hang on a minute. No, no, no. Are you talking about the date? Oh, is it an actual date? They have met through a dating agency. Oh, right. Okay, so they met she through is, a video dating agency. Yeah, she is there on purpose uh-huh. to meet him. She didn't trip. She didn't trip. He no. didn't just turn up and like, proposition her. No. no. Okay, no. sorry. That was a bit hazy for me. Because suddenly he's chatting with her and he's... Because if you remember, before Stephen gets his bright light hmm. and disappears, yeah. they are actually discussing... Um, the fact that Leslie has just signed up to a dating agency or is considering signing up to a dating agency. So she ended up with Johnny Tyler, even though he he comes off like a colossal creep in his video. Like she she looks at it later and he goes, who am I looking for in a woman? Uh, Someone who's uh, blind. (laughs) Jesus Christ, how could she possibly take the box that goes... Yeah, that'll do. Well, we didn't see the others. They could have been <coughs> a lot worse. He he might have been literally the best of the bunch. Yeah, I was at the next one along that she was like, you know, I'm done with this. It was just, I'm going to murder you, you bloody woman. And so she ends up on a date with this guy. She could have had Richard Awardy. <laughs> oh, that would have been brilliant. It would. Oh, he would totally have livened this whole thing up. Mm, he would. Yeah. Work. Yeah, we need to post a classified Lonely Hearts ad online that makes me sound like a psycho so that I can prove to Jen that all women love bastards and therefore win £20. Oh, thank God, I thought that thing was broken. <laughs> Shut up. Do what I tell you. I'm not interested. <laughs> These are just some of the things you'll be hearing if you answered this ad. <laughs> I'm an idiot and I don't care about anyone but myself. <laughs> P.S. No dogs. <laughs> That's good. What's yours? Mine doesn't look any good now. Go on. I'm going to murder you. (laughs) You bloody woman. (laughs) Might want to play a bit hard to get. If you were a murderer, what would your nickname be? Mine would be the gardener, because I'd always leave a rose at the scene of the crime. (laughs) What would your murder weapon be? A hammer. <laughs> anyway, so she's chatting with this Johnny Tyler. Then she gets a text message that says, your mate, Stephen Baxter, has suddenly appeared in hospital. He doesn't know where he is. He's delirious. So she goes, oh, yeah, I've got to go and get my mate. He's just appeared in hospital. It was on the news. And Johnny Tyler's like, oh, really? Really? Yeah, okay, that's fine. And he acts really passive-aggressive about it. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll see you later then, maybe. Yeah, your friend's just come back. And she's like, yeah, no, seriously. Like, she should just say, like, star 69 this one, or whatever the uh, call you back on was in 2003 in England, and just call the hospital, would you? And then ask them who's in their uh, ward who's just turned up. So she's walking across, and he shouts out cheerfully behind her, BITCH! And it's like, wow. Okay. Judith, you ever see this man again? Just walk away. Just walk away. Just walk away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, I mean, that's... 
like basically if if you're um if you're in a dating agency which is something I've, i actually considered when i was in my late teens just be nice you know like you want to get a good reputation not as someone who yells across the room and might in fact harbor a deep seething resentment towards women but like either way that that kind of just shows you what kind of a person johnny tyler is yes self-loathing and thus yes he's obviously ridiculously insecure turns that out against the world so yeah he's like the third most important person in this movie um and i'm not entirely sure why <laughs> Keep coming back to him. Well, we'll get to him in a minute. So, um, she she asks on the phone, how did he get from Manchester to Yorkshire? Because he turned up in Yorkshire. It's been six weeks. You could literally walk at a slow pace to Yorkshire from Manchester in, in a, six... In a day. In a day. I've just checked. Oh, it thank t- you. It would take a day. It takes less than an hour on the train service, which is literally called the Trans-Pennine Express. For goodness Which sake. is devised for the sole purpose of getting from Manchester to Yorkshire. It's probably about the easiest journey you can do. Right. Well, either way, she's totally foxed at how he could possibly have gotten there in only six weeks. Absolutely. If the question had been, why is he in Yorkshire, that I would have understood. It would be miraculous if he was in Australia and there was no record of him flying. Yes. That's how you do it, Russell T. Indeed. But no, it was dropped but back in Yorkshire. But she asks him later and he just looks at her and goes... I, I don't know. A... No, no, no. He says, I got a train. Oh, yeah. I got a train, a then a bus, then And I then I walked. Yeah. So it's it's not that It's not amazing. hard. But Judith is continuously amazed by everything in this. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's, there's even... There's a straight, relatively straight road that goes from Manchester to Leeds. You just walk the M62 and you could do it in a reasonably short amount of time. Mm. Anyway, uh, the moment that she finds out that he's there, Father Delane turns up. And this is Rory Kinnear, who you may have seen in... He was in Skyfall... And probably Spectre as a result. He was the guy who tried to blackmail Bruce Wayne. And uh, uh, Morgan Freeman was like, good luck. Uh, he's this sort of little... Um, oik. Oik. Yeah. Very British looking guy. Quite talented. Uh, mm. He's played um, Hamlet. I think, yeah, he's played Hamlet as well. Oh, was like, he, he's definitely done something Shakespeare because Sam Mendes was teasing him and... Um, who's Pingu? Q? Oh, Ben Whishaw. Ben Whishaw and Ray Fiennes because they, they were, they'd they were all played Hamlet or something and they were all in a scene together. Mm. Uh, and uh, that tickled Sam Mendes pink, as we said on the uh, uh, Skyfall show. Anyhow, so uh, Father Delane and his cadre of policemen marches down to the hospital to try to find Stephen Baxter because as it turns out, he there's like a sacred scripture which says with like coordinates and dates and times exactly when the new son of God's going to appear and it's here and then he chats uh, he, well, uh, Christopher Eccleston finds him signals to him and they have a chat and Christopher Eccleston wolfs down a fried breakfast while they chat about the fact that he's now um, the son of God mm. I think they delineate the fact that he is not Jesus mm. and like later on someone says are you like his brother and he goes oh it's complicated and mm. it's not like really well, explained if, but both of them are vessels for the ineffable for the, the Holy Spirit the yeah Holy Spirit. I mean Jesus ultimately was a physical incarnation who in whom resided mm. the spirit of God now if this is the second iteration of that then it's the same thing the body is Stephen Baxter but the mm. internals are God. Okay, I'm going to call him Baxter Christ. 
if that's all right. Okay. Because um, he's no longer really Stephen oh, Baxter. Steve Christ. He has... No, no, no. Yeah, in fact, yeah, Steve Christ is more appropriate. Cause somebody, Steve Christ. He does actually say, someone says to him, what should we call you? And he just looks at him and says, Steve. Steve. Yes. He is still technically himself. He's just now totally aware that he's the son of God and can do miracles. Yeah. I, I love the scene, by the way, where Rory Kinnear turns up with the police behind him because the the purposeful way he strides yeah, down oh, the, my the, God, the corridors... Gonna... I, totally, I thought he was going to cap him. I totally believed that the Met had an elite exorcist squad oh, that they deployed whenever there were spiritual crimes afoot. Trying pigs for heresy. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they, they, they go in. Like he, he does get to chat to him. And then he dissed the fucking appears for the rest of the film. Father Delane, who would have been quite an interesting character because, you know, having his faith tested... Uh, ultimately, from the sounds of it, this was going to be uh, like a four-parter, mm. and then they had to trim it down to two parts, ch- chopping off huge chunks of it. Mm. They even shot some of that, um, which means that they, they they kind of rushed to the the, the climax mm. a little sooner. So I'm assuming some of these more minor characters would have had their faith tested. Stephen's mother was going to be in it. She right. only gets mentioned in a throwaway comment. Yeah, that, that's a real shame, to be fair, because the this conversation between um, Father Delane and Steve over the fried breakfast is, as far as I was concerned, the most interesting thing that takes place in this. Oh, yeah? Okay, explain why. Well, the it, it's the... Hmm, it's difficult to put a finger on, really. Basically, but what But that's they, your job! Put a finger on it. What they what they discuss in this conversation is um, the nature of the challenge that Stephen's presence brings for the Catholic Church, um, and it's not so much the idea of what uh, his his being here represents for the rest of Christianity or even the rest of humanity, which is what the rest of the th- the the film, for want of a better term, is about. I don't know, do we put this in everything else? It is a film. Yeah, effectively it really is. It is. You know, you sit down, you watch it, there is a break in the middle where it, like, for no reason plays you a next time on, Mm. and then like, previously on. It's like, dude, you could just have trimmed it there. Yeah, but anyway, um, but this actual, this conversation is is sort of specifically about what this means for the the Catholic Church, and they, they talk about um the the pope knew this was happening it was going to happen and uh, you're joking the pope oh my god um father delane's worried about um it, it's a lot of it is unspoken this is why it's difficult to put a finger on but it it the concern as far as i can interpret for the catholic church would be we've been holding the strings on people's belief for centuries if you turn up you could completely upset the apple cart on that which he does we might have to reassess all of the money that we're allowed to currently keep and all of the fancy buildings and clothes that we have our tax exemption yeah absolutely and all that kind of thing and um he, uh, Delane says something to him about um, so many of us have been trying to achieve great things with humanity or something like that. And Stephen just looks at him and says, yeah, and so many of you have been diddling choir boys or, or whatever the phrase. And Delane gets really angry and he, he's like personally insulted because 
that's you know he's he's frustrated by the fact that the catholic church has recent in recent years has been ridiculed and undermined and he is worried that stephen's going to make that even worse and the interaction between them i actually found really quite engaging and well, they and effectively challenge each other in a way that he and judith absolutely, don't absolutely and i and that's what I thought this was going to be, basically, throughout the whole thing, was this sort of religion and Jesus focus in on, a conflict. Yeah, the the you know the idea that the Catholic Church is one of the most structured, oldest, um, uh, most artificialities yeah. around the Christian faith, and for that to be brought out and um, and discussed. Um, was something that I I was quite looking forward to, um, but then it didn't happen. Mm. Really, he should have been his like there should have been a representative of the church there the whole way through mm. because like the church aren't all that interested. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's one of the fifty eight things that are very unrealistic about this. Church of England, you'll notice, do not get involved in this. At all, and that, chill down. that actually makes well. That makes perfect sense. I honestly think if, if they were the busy literal, having a jumble sale, if the literal Jesus turned up, Church of England wouldn't give a crap. They really wouldn't. They'd go, oh, that's <laughs> They'd be like, nice. Oh, that, yeah, and and that that's. I'll the wait thing. till it comes on the we'll, telly. We'll get to this, <laughs> but that's that's the guts of the issue that I had with this, uh-huh. and that's the 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 vast majority of your actual Christians were not really involved in what was going on Mm -hmm. at all. Judas wandering around uh, after, like, um, he jumps on cars um, while he's chatting with her. It's late at night. They're in an estate. And he, uh, that, just him jumping up and down on top of the uh, car was just like, a football friend. And we watched the in-betweeners afterwards because I just needed to dispel the tension. Mm. So uh, watch episode four of season one of the in-betweeners immediately after seeing this to dispel the tension. Yeah. But this, again, the whole scene where he's thrown himself around the road and, and Judas Just set off like, alarms because he likes noise. What are noise. you doing? And he's like... Uh, he's been in, in heaven where apparently there's no air, no, f- no, well, no noise. Well, he's suddenly, no. because he's suddenly um, realised 
realise that he is a vessel for the Spirit of God. Mm. He's very suddenly acutely aware of his physical body and um, the fact that he can feel being rained on, the fact that he can experience and appreciate noise, the fact that he can taste things, the fact that he he starts, he he gets a cigarette from her and he's never smoked before. Mm. And he's like, he just wants to, to know what it tastes like. Um, and things like that, but the, again, the way he's acting. Why did someone tell out, me tasty things tasted so good? <laughs> it, it's it's reminiscent of somebody um, having like a manic episode. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, their their feelings becoming incredibly intense and physical sensations being incredibly intense. But that being something that they embrace rather than. Um, like it, for for somebody who feels very overwhelmed by that and tries mm. to retreat from it, just grabbing hold of it and embracing that. And again, I thought, okay, maybe we're going to go into um, an exploration of whether it, this is some psychological, psychological yeah. breakdown. I thought that that would be a great way to sort of like round up to the end of the first episode. Is is he crazy or Absolutely. is he actually on the money? Because the bottom line is that, that there are people who think they are... The Son of God. All the time. I don't time, want to say all everywhere. the time, but it it happens. It's quite a regular occurrence for somebody who is, uh, you know, having delusions or, um, you know, psychotic breakdown or, or something like that. It it does happen, and they don't all tend to invite investigation by the Met Exorcist Squad. Well, no, because they had the coordinates and the times and stuff. They were like, like they were the ones brushing off all the other. They, they were like David, like, nope, hasn't got the coordinates correct. <laughs> But this no, guy... No, he's a Scorpio, definitely not. Claiming no. to be Jesus matched up correctly. They, yeah. they they got a full, like, it was like, guess who? But <laughs> uh, with Christopher Eccleston's potato head at the end. Mm. Um, so there was a couple of clues here that made me think, they probably filmed this in 2001, and uh, then it got released in 2003. One was that there was a Lord of the Rings poster for Fellowship of the Ring on one of the bus stops. Um, and it could be that they were just like, no, keep that poster, stick that up, or that it just sat there unattended for a year. Um, but th- that's a possibility. The phones she was using was a very 2001 phone. Mm. I remember having that exact same phone in 2001. And she also has a mini backpack. Now, those were very popular for about a month in England, and that is not a woman of her age's type no, backpack. It's she's teeny like, tiny. She's like... 40? Yep. No, in fact, hang on a minute, I just looked it up. Leslie Sharp is 65 now. Oh, bloody hell. So she was, basically, yeah, she was late 40s. That backpack looks wrong on a woman of her age. <laughs> That's for like a 17-year-old girl from yeah. Switzerland. I, I remember <laughs> being like 21, 22 and not having one of them because I thought it was a little bit childish. But, you know, maybe she just liked the mini backpack. Maybe. Maybe it was very popular in Manchester. Mm. Plus, she's wearing, she's two strapping it. You don't two strap those. Those are definitely, those are a one, one strap. Those are a one strap item. Okay. Very definitely. I, I, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Then there were some creeping goings on because the woman who asked for directions starts yammering on about, uh, you know, you ask him, you ask him about my husband. Or something like that, was it? She's uh, basically, she stops, this is the lady who stops and asks for directions. Yeah. 
and um, she says that this is the first time she's had to drive to this location on her own because her husband used to take her and then basically her eyes go all silver and shiny get used to and that she starts she starts raving about the fact that her husband recently died of bowel cancer and and shat himself to death or words to that effect Brilliant. and um, and why would God let that happen you ask him you ask your boyfriend why would God let that happen rah 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 now First off, this is quite terrifying. This is hot on the heels, by the way, of um, Judy walking past a homeless guy in a bus shelter who asks her for 20p, and when she says no or, or just ignores him and keeps walking, same thing happens. His eyes go silver and he starts well, calling her by name. Yeah. Um, and um, and she just carries on and, and like doesn't acknowledge him. But it really does start to feel like she has somehow crossed over into a hell dimension Demon of some town. description. Yeah. It's terrifying. This whole scene was probably about the most... Eff- I mean, it certainly wasn't my most enjoyable, but this was probably the most effective scene, I thought, in the whole thing. Yeah. In terms of it getting across this idea of um, another world now encroaching on this one because the Son of God is here. Yeah. Um, so... Stephen then goes to a football ground in the middle of the night and uh, I think he arranges it with a policeman who is his police confidant the whole way through. Like, the police, the Met, when they need to talk to him, talk to him through this one guy and that's it. There's there's one guy in charge of everything, basically. All the crowd control, all the police. Technically the Met, it'd be the Greater Manchester Police. Sorry, of course not. It feels quite London-y. Well, Manchester does feel quite London-y. Yeah, okay. Um... Anyway, so uh, there's a big shaft of light, middle of the night, and he brings it down and says he wants to talk to people for just a few minutes. And they're showing it on TV and going, this is, in fact, live footage. You do not adjust your television. And it's just like a football ground in the middle of the day. Did you catch how he got all these people here, though? How was it? He put a message on a, um, on a message board on the internet. Wow. And all a of message these board on the internet turned up. Want to see Jesus? It's a flash mob, effectively. Right. But it just seems like he's—he seems very unfamiliar with the internet when he starts tapping. As does Russell T Davis. He's looking up "Son of God" or "Second Coming" or something on on what looks like Encarta. Um, Here's the thing: CD-ROM technology. Back in the early two thousands, you couldn't just put a message on Twitter or Facebook, and be reasonably assured that everybody in the local area would get that message. The people of Manchester are not all on a Manchester forum. You'd have to put that message out on numerous websites to get the attention of the kind of numbers of people that turn up for this flash mob. So that felt a bit wrong. The, the light comes down and just everyone's amazed. This is a miracle. And he starts telling them uh, the human race. What's his general gist? It's uh, sort of, hey, like we've come, I've come at last. And now, like almost immediately, he says that there's going to be a, a, a third testament. Mm. Well, the, the essence of it is you've had 2,000 years. years now. Um, you were told how to live your life and... and look after each other and you didn't you fucked up and i am here to um 
to give you, you give you one more chance is is kind of the essence of it um and he basically says that there's going to be a third testament but he says that it's not going to come from him he wants everybody to um write their own testaments and send them to him and then he's going to read through them and find the the right one wow I actually, like, I can remember the one scene where they reference actually trying to do this. Mm, They're looking at these giant pallets full of mail. And it's like, oh, we'll start at the edges, and then we'll work our way through to the middle. Dude, after the first 38 minutes of inane drivel, extremely long, extremely wordy stuff, Latin stuff, actually on the money stuff, angry, furious ranting, get rid of the gays, feminist agenda stuff... Pieces of paper smeared with feces. It would be such a pile of just, like, stuff that would make Jesus angry. Oh, yeah. At humanity. If Jesus went on Twitter, Hmm. which is effectively what this is, he'd be flipping tables left, right and centre. What the hell do you... I'm trying to put words in the mouth of Jesus now. That could possibly be interpreted as blasphemous. That could backfire. I, I do have my own opinions about... Who are you, Russell T. Davis? Jesus would perceive the world today. But anyway, that's just me. Judith ends up on another date with this weird Johnny guy. She just bumps into him in the pub, doesn't she? Does she? Yeah, she goes to the pub mm. and he's there, and she's just looking like miserable, chain drinking. And she, as a way of apologising for walking out on him the other night, says, well, "Let's have a date." Buys now. him a drink, and then sits down and says she's going to sit down with him for one drink. And I was just this is the guy who head. shouted "bitch" at you across the no. room. No, not with this no. guy. No. Do not sit and have a drink with this man. Just leave. And he says something along the lines of, you know, oh, you were going to have a drink with me, even though I'm pathetic. It's fine. I like to go home and just spunk my jizz all over some whore in a jazz mag. And I'm like, get up, leave right now. Get up, leave right now. His eyes have gone demonically silver by this point. Yeah. And and he's like, you know, we get inside, we hitch a lift. And I'm like, oh, God, he's got like a demon in his head or something. It's never made entirely clear, by the way, whether this is multiple minor demons. Or one. Or the the devil devil coming through all of these people Mm. in individual tendrils. It feels a bit like Fallen and a bit like Devil's Advocate, both of which were, you know, premiere 1998... um, like, you know, supernatural thrillers, which mm. Russell T. Davis must have sat and watched. Yeah. And um, But it also feels like Ghost Watch. I think we're being very highly praising by saying it feels like any of these. These I, I far, far prefer Devil's Advocate, Fallen, and mm. Ghost Watch. Uh, but it, it feels like it has elements of those, but never really capitalises on any of those elements in the way that the above-mentioned m- uh, uh, productions yeah. do. Now you've said, actually, about it was originally intended to be a fair bit longer than this and they had to cut it down. I I can feel that now. Yeah. There, there seems to be a lot of... Sense um, taken out. ...skimming over the superficial elements of situations without really investigating them in depth, which mm. it really could have done with. So, also, what's wrong with spilling your beans over some whore in a jazz mag? That's just relieving the old tension. No? She's giving me the look. Not a good one. No, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that at all, whatsoever. It just, again, that just about this this setup, the, the demon stroke devil, whatever stroke it devil. was, that was saying, you know, we, we 
find people who were sad and lonely and resentful and, and hitch a lift. And we we just find ways to we make get them inside do your boy like a wet kitten. I just, I don't know. It just seemed to be implying that um, all of these emotions are, you know, opening the door to Satan. To which I say, <laughs> fuck off. Um, but anyway, it, it being Russell Since T. Davis... when is having I'm one off pretty, the wrist opening the door to Satan? I'm pretty sure that's not what he meant, but that's kind of the way it comes across. It's so clumsy. Yeah. Anyway, um, the uh, she then goes back and like rewatches the VHS of this guy, and he that's when he uh, he says, you know, what kind of woman am I looking for? Blind, <laughs> and pulls horrible faces, and she's like, oh, oh, he's possessed by demons. Oh, but then no. her VHS machine eats the tape, so she can't prove it to anybody. Yeah, which is a shame. Jesus is um, so Stephen Christ's dad goes to the hospital, puts down a jazz mag, and I'm like, oh, thematically, we are still in line with what we've just been talking about. And you said specifically out loud, please don't make me watch an old man wank. Turns out he was uh, um, donating, uh, not donating sperm, he was having a test done on his boys. Um, was it just like a routine one, or did he actually go, no, they, I need to they check were, this one? Well, he was, he was having various tests. They took blood, they took urine sample and, and all sorts of things. And But I'm, I'm not sure whether he was having medical tests for something unconnected to all of this, and it would have been happening anyway, or whether they were trying to find out whether Stephen had any genetic... Um, issues that might make him go crazy which is how a lot of people are still treating him at this point right. like he, he might possibly um, even though he has have, achieved have the miracle of making it light in the daytime well that's yeah that's light, the thing light that at everybody nighttime. yeah that, that light everybody, in the daytime is only miraculous in england <laughs> but this is the thing that everybody's clung to that this is the proof that he is actually the son of god because he managed to bring a shaft of daylight down into visible from space um yeah apparently so um but I, the, what was it I was saying? Oh, it was the... Many things. No, no, no. Specifically Loudly. on this bit. <laughs> I was getting a little frustrated. I no, rate. specifically at this bit. They're, they're all stood in the, in, the foot, in the arena, which is effectively the football ground. Yep. And it's on TV and people are going, oh my God, it's light. How can it possibly be light? At this stage, no one had turned a camera up to the sky. So literally all you can see, if you're watching it on your TV it's screen, is the fact that it's daylight, it's a football ground, they have spotlights so that people can play football at night. This is literally what it's set up to do. But then somebody turned the camera up and looked at the sky and it was all blue and cloudy. So It did eventually. That was fine. Okay. But yeah. the other thing that got me about this bit was the um, the news footage. Yeah. Um, because they had all these snippets of, of, like, they did that incredibly clever thing where they get real news anchors to do little pieces for them. This so was a couple of years before Shaun of the Dead. And, and you've got removing the head and destroying, and destroying the, the brain. brain. Um, but here's the thing. What Edgar Wright did mm. was he identified specific people by name. Yeah, yeah. 
This rolling news footage has things going across like Prime Minister says, Iraqi Ambassador says. Just say Tony Blair. Just, you, names, people. Just you say know, Tony Blair. It's, it's 2003. Absolutely. Use the actual names of the actual people. And it just, it, the whole, that bit, which is meant to bring an authenticity to it and make it feel more real, made it feel Backfired. more fake. yeah. So, like, yeah. the President of the United States of America said this. Yeah, and it made everything feel like the day-to-day, and we'd already started comparing it to Black Mirror, mm. um, which does this kind of creepy, slightly sidestepped reality mm. thing very, very effectively. well. And Too effectively sometimes. Absolutely, and this was not doing that as well. Which was an unfortunate comparison. For me, I think it had the potential to be fascinating if it had actually had the debates that it appeared to Mm. want to spark. But it didn't. I'm going to finally give you an example of this. This is actually what Christopher Eccleston's Steve Christ says to the gathered masses at the football ground. The people who've actually come to listen to him. You are becoming gods. There's a new master of creation, and it's you. You've unraveled DNA. You're five years away from building your own people, and at the same time, you're cultivating bacteria strong enough to kill every living thing. Do you think you're ready for that much power? You lot? You lot! You cheeky bastards. They've taken him off Stan ITV. He swore. Two o'clock, BBC One. He swore. You're running around science like kids with guns, creating a new world while the world you've got is stinking. Go on. Hands up. Hands up anyone who thinks you've got it right. (laughs) Yeah, there's always one. I can see you. If you want the position of God, then take the responsibility. And I'm like you. I've been you. Knowing it's all going wrong and doing nothing about it. Keeping the head down. Giving a quid to charity, signing a petition, talking about it down the pub. Laughing about it and doing nothing, even now. Right now, I want to do nothing. I want to go home, shut the door, and pretend this isn't happening, but I can't. I can't. Because I was born the Son of God. And the Son of God came once before and gave you a testament, and you ignored it. This time, there'll be a third testament. A new foundation for the way you live your lives. And the third testament will be written by you. You've got five days. In five days, the third testament will be delivered to me and we start again. Every country, every religion starts again.
And don't... Don't argue. All you Christians out there, don't go around saying you were right and everyone else was wrong. Forget all that, all those divisions, all that history, all that bollocks. Forget it, it's gone, forgotten. It's starting again from scratch right now. Because you've got to. I've seen it. You're stupid. Stupid people, I've seen what you've done. It's finally happened. Heaven is empty and hell is bursting at the seams. Um, it's important to note the uh, character of Fiona at this point. Uh, she is who to Judith? She's a friend of Stephen's. I think her husband was friends with him at school or something. The, right. the, the, she's part of the group who's all out at the club at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It would feel if it was shot in a different way with different uh, direction um, and different script, uh, it would feel like they were a close-knit group of friends, mm. but that was not really... Put across. Either way, her name's Fiona. She's a mum. She's got a boy and a girl and a husband. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes to, like, we cut to her at the newsagents and she starts cramming money into the charity box mm. because she is at this point exemplifying a whole group of people who are going, oh, bloody hell. Bloody hell, I haven't lived a good life at all. Yeah. Now, this is this is where I think what is the, the guts of the the theme of this comes through, which is basically after Stephen has delivered his speech at the football ground, um, it, it the, like in the next couple of days, he, there's a line that he says about um, he's seen heaven. Oh yeah, heaven, it's empty, it's empty and, and hell, hell is bursting, bursting at the seams. Which is a and lovely thing to say if you're Jesus. Basically that saying, everyone goes to hell because they're all horrible. Well, no, I mean, it, it's not a sort of everyone goes to hell. I don't think that's what he's trying to say, but basically... Uh, I, I the, don't know, like, uh, don't you think that a lot of people could interpret what he just exactly. said as exactly Exactly, no, 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 that? that's what I mean. I don't necessarily think that is precisely what he means, but the way many what, what people mean? take it... Heaven's empty and hell is bursting. What does he mean? Well, he's exaggerating for the the effect. The, the he, right, okay. What he heaven means then is heaven can't is literally be empty. Okay. God's there. One assumes there are angels, but yes, heaven it must is... be missing an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Good lord. I personally think I should get extra points for that gag because I didn't use the Tavares original. No, 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 no. I used the Worlds Apart UK dance version from 1994. There you go, folks. Everybody of around about our age, enjoy that little trip down memory lane. I'm dancing here, by the way. Should we leave it there at sexy angels? Um, but yeah, so heaven's underpopulated. It's got population one hundred. Yeah, and hell, as with South Park, is has billions spiraling. Bill- yeah. Okay, so that's exactly what I just said, and that's exactly what he just said. Right, figurative or otherwise, one's overpopulated, one's underpopulated. Okay, and the it doesn't essence- matter which way you slice it. What he means is. 
You're going to hell for all the bad right. things you're doing. But, right, okay. I don't think he is saying to the people who really? are there... Because they interpret it exactly to... like that. I know they do! <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get what around did to! did think they were going to ex- this interpret is, it like? This is the one of the things that I said here. This guy knows shit about shit when it comes to motivating people. He's he's trying Tells to tell them... Tells everyone they're bastards. Right. He's trying to tell them, you have got to pull your socks up and turn yourselves around and change your behaviour. Right? What he... What they take away from that is, dear God, all those people who died before me... They're in hell. That I've been telling myself for years, it's okay, they've gone to a better place, mm. blah, blah, blah. They're not. They were obviously not good enough to get into heaven. Those people are in hell. And that's why you then have this scene of everybody crying in the graveyard because they now realise that those people that they've lost... Are all in hell, tortured burning forever. and being having imps shove pitchforks up their asses. Yes, so <laughs> there's that. Um, but but then cheers the, for that one, the second, Steve Christ. The second layer of that is that as well as now being convinced that everybody who died before them is in hell when they thought otherwise, um, it they are doomed to be judged harshly. Yeah. Um. It, what what I mean is, when I said about the whole thing of heaven being empty and hell being bursting, it, the the idea that people are all going to hell is not an inevitability. He's not saying it's an inevitability. But people take things as ridiculous extremes, and that's the that's the conclusion that so many people jump to that this is now something that is unavoidable. So they're going to sit on the ground and cry instead of. Doing something about it! (laughs) So the worst of humanity comes out. Yay. So the dad turns out to be sterile and he is, oh, oh, he's so angry. He's like, it was a virgin birth, a virgin birth. And he's furious about this. It means he, he's been shooting blanks. So basically, he turns out to be Joseph. Is that Joseph of Arimathea or a different guy? That's a different guy. Joseph of Arimathea is somebody else. Oh, okay. I think. Are you sure? Uh, I am not a Bible-knowing person. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, the man who assumed responsibility for the burial of Jesus after Jesus' crucifixion. So there are lots of Marys and lots of Josephs in this particular Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, there's graveyard hysteria. Everyone's... Also, yep. just going back to that slightly, wow. the whole thing about, um, you know, that what if you take that message as there effectively were never any people who were good enough to get into heaven. Yeah. And everybody so exactly like South Park. has done... Uh, way too little in terms of actually doing good things. Yeah. Way to shit on every single reformist and civil rights activist yep. and person who's worked for a charity organisation and done anything good ever. Yeah. Screw you. Where's Gandhi? Well, according to South Park, he's in hell. Remember? He's the one that comes in after George Burns mm-hmm. and after Hitler. Right.
in that case, then because they weren't Mormon, because they were because they weren't following the one true faith. Exactly. Right. Stephen never says anything at any point no. about the one true faith. Stephen, it's all about deeds. Stephen talks. Apparently, Stephen talks to the human race far too little. Considering the amount of hysteria that gets well, to a degree, that's because the police keep telling him not to. Like, Don't we're going to put people. you in this room. That's Don't because talk he turns up, says cryptic, terrifying things. He's basically a terrorist. He he achieves what a terrorist would want to achieve. Mm. Even though he's like, ah, oh, people are all acting wrong. It's like, wow, for for someone who is trying to inspire and motivate people, you're saying the wrong things. I think that was probably Russell T. Davis's rather clumsy point. Yes, considering the conclusion, I think you're probably right. And given that it seemed to get a rather strong reaction out of me, could could we argue that that worked? Yep. Uh, then, then an angry gay man threatens Jesus. He pulls off his uh, shirt to reveal he's wearing like a pink triangle T-shirt. It's like, the Bible, the Old Testament says... Now, gay people, Leviticus abandoned it. So what do you say, Jesus? And he's like, you know, squaring up like, oh, you want Jesus? Like all gay men do. Your amazing mind, Russell T. Davis. And um, what does Stephen say? Just like, don't care. Or something along those lines. He's, he's, he's very non-committal about it. He effectively says, what do you think? Um, the, the general consensus seems to be, at Jesus, why don't you change everything and make everything better? Everyone's running at him and accusing him of this. You know, well, Why don't you do this, fix this, change this? Take responsibility for our problems. What is his response to this? They're in a pub at this point. Mm. I'm not I think sure. he says, no, no, that's up to you to do. Yeah, like, all I'm he, doing is giving you the seeds. You're the ones who have to make heaven on earth. He does say something about you can't test him. It's tempting to want to do hmm. things to prove to people who he is, but that's not the point. That's not Which ultimately, just, Christ, lead by example. Just find people who are doing good things and go there. Look at that. That person, definitely going to heaven. But don't literally do what that person's doing. Just take on the properties of what they're doing in terms of kindness, mm. selflessness, yeah. generosity, hmm. tr- you know, honesty. Just basically just be a good person. Instead, he just says cryptic, terrifying things to people. And then a Batman v Superman bomb goes off in this pub. Just literally, he goes, kadoosh, blows the whole pub sky high because mm. they're trying to take out Jesus. That is the only instance of someone who actively hates this guy acting on it and um, trying to kill everyone. But he works his second miracle and preserves the lives of everyone in this pub, including all of the people around him who have sort of become disciples. Yes. Um, Russell T. Davis is gay, by the way, so I don't know how that impacts on the gay stereotype gentleman. I don't know, Russell. Have you actually seen... A gay man shout that at Jesus? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very singular eventuality. (laughs) Square up to punch the son of the Lord. Yeah, so shortly after this, at the beginning of the second uh, episode, uh, he. uh, this is where they're trying to read through all of these various New Testaments that people have been sending him, scribbled on the back of Weetabix packets and uh, post-its and just... A complete, a giant mess of a room. He would need a Veruca Salt factory level of workers to basically, like, just pare it down for me. Give me the bullet points of what this person says. There isn't time. And then he mutters something along the lines of, oh, I'm looking in the future and I'm seeing darkness, death, there's nothing. So uh, it's like, 
okay, so is that what, Judgment Day? And he's like, yeah, probably. And luckily there was a camera on, and luckily the uh, news crews looked at that and went, right, should we publish this? Because it really seems like um, it, it might cause widespread panic if we say that Jesus, who a lot of people believe is Jesus, has said that the world is going to end tomorrow. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Stick that one out there. And uh, there is event- There is almost immediately... The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? Whoa. What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. As the world doesn't take that well. It is, in fact, global hysteria. Some figures for you. Because this might be quite illuminating. These are the religious denomination percentages just in the British Isles. That's if we imagine that the events of this film affect only our islands, which they don't. Christianity, roughly 60%. So 6 out of 10 people in an average crowded room. That's higher than I thought it would be. Six out of ten people are a Christian. Bearing in mind again that the beauty of being Church of England is that you can count yourself as a Christian without really actually having yeah. to do much. You could be technically counted as Christian without really... But a lot of the 60% will be non-practicing Christians. Mm. Um, but uh, underneath that, the next one down below the Christian, Islam, 4%. Hinduism, 1%. Judaism, Buddhism and Sikh are less than 1% each. It's like 0.7 of a percent. And all the religious non-Christians, so that's people who are followers of other religions beyond the ones we've already said, total 7%. So that's not quite one person in 10. Everybody else, the other three and a bit people in 10, have either no religion or at least don't state their religion on census forms. So yeah, we are predominantly Christian in the UK, a third of us aren't fussed, and less than a tenth are religious but not Christian. Also, by the way, that bilge that cabbies spout about Muslims taking over with their insidious Chevy law doesn't stand up for even half a second to mathematics. 4%, you grumpy bigots. The whole world, though... It's a different story. Get 10 people from around the globe in a room of averageness and only three will be Christian, two Islamic, one and a half people are Hindu and about the same aren't religious. Half a person is Chinese traditional, another half person is Buddhist, that's nine in total. The last person is made up of all other religions, Sikh, African, Judaism, Shintoism, Rastafarianism and a whole bunch of others. Is that like tribal African? faiths yeah okay which if nothing else shows you how incredibly popular the abrahamic faiths became on the entire continent of africa so i'm, I'm surprised with that as well again the one and a half people 15 percent of people across the globe aren't religious that's that's a lot less than i thought but that just shows how important religion is to 85 percent of people In other words, when confronted with the news that a man claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus, or at least the Son of God himself, who can make it light in a football stadium in the middle of the night, turns up and starts chastising humanity, something like 7 out of 10 people in the world are going to either say, so what? 
or may even actively oppose the recognition of this man as any kind of messiah. There is barely any of that contention in this film, explained away in the miracle of the bright shaft of light, and I don't think Russell T. Davis took this very important census information into account when crafting his story. Unfortunately, when you realise this, the entire narrative breaks down because we are looking at the whole thing through a cardboard tube. The overwhelming majority of the population of the globe do not live their lives by the Old or New Testaments of the Christian faith. Russell T. Davis is an atheist himself and has said multiple times that he wasn't trying to make a clear statement on religion, so much as to get people talking and start debate. Unfortunately, when you make a film like this without a strong statement, such as we no longer need religion, or we do need religion, or we need to make a new religion, or we need to ditch the dogmatic practices that have plagued various organized religions for centuries and in some cases millennia, dominating our cultural history with wrong-headed fear-mongering and aggressive tribalism in order to keep exploitative men in power, and all of that needs to be scrapped without losing the beauty of faith or the strongest possible virtues of helping out your fellow men, women, and children. Or something similarly profound, then you find you actually don't have a real story, at least not one that's actually about anything. It's about what the world would do if Jesus came back, but because of the limited scope it's actually about, what Jesus' friends and family would do when he becomes infamous. Ultimately, it ends on a question of a right or wrong decision, which we'll talk about in a second, which means that your take-home is very muddled. The conclusions are deeply spurious and unrealistic because the real-world statistics weren't taken into account and you are left only with the performances to hold the story together. Americans, in case you were wondering, in a room of ten of you, four and a half are Protestants, two are Catholic, one of you is a combination of Mormonism and all other variations on Christianity and Judaism and Islamic and Hindu, Buddhist and all other religions, which leaves two and a half of you, or just under, as either atheists, agnostics, nothing or not stated. And in case you're wondering about Islam taking over, uh, it's 0.9%, which means they need a few more Islamics just to make 1%, just to make one person in 100 people, just to make one-tenth, so that's the feet of one of the people in the room. They're not going to take over, guys, and I don't think they want to. You don't need to worry anymore. So back to Judgment Day. At this point, I wanted to put on Saving the Day from Ghostbusters because it just really felt like, um, like the whole thing was coming down. And it made me realize why Ghostbusters feels so comforting. Because it depicts a world actually coming to a possible end as it's being confronted by a, an all-powerful god. And a bunch of heroes coming from nowhere unifying to stop them. And that's also why Avengers, which is basically a remake of Ghostbusters, feel similarly comforting. Anyway, so Fiona's husband, remember Fiona we mentioned, the one who started cramming the poor box? Um, Fiona's husband's like, oh, ups and leaves. What's his reason? I 
don't know. He says, I've just got to go because it's judgment day and I want to be somewhere else. <laughs> Rather than with it's my... It's my last night on earth. I want to be with anyone but you. My wife and children. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Jesus. Yes. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he leaves her alone and she's screaming after him. What about me? Because she's scared that if she, if judgment day happens, she'll be sent to hell. Right. Fiona is kind of the epitome at this point of... Panicky human. Panicky human. And the most evidence for me that this is not... There, there is nothing spiritual going on here at all. That, um, that what is actually happening is not... Um, it, it's not the, the prospect of... Uh, confirmation of their uh, spiritual beliefs that sends everybody over the edge like this. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Pretty much everyone in the film is falling apart at this point. Oh yeah, they're a wreck. Um, Especially the dad, who's like, I'm shooting blanks! I'm shooting blanks! That's the other thing that kind of baffled me, because surely there'd be a sizable number of people who were like... Okay, fair enough. I get it's to be Joseph in this scenario. I, I lived a relatively good life. I'm happy with what I've done. I, people like that exist. Especially in England. They really do. The amount do. of cups of tea of, like, you know, let's just wait for Judgment let's Day. <laughs> My, cheer up, might never happen. That would be how Edgar Wright might do it. Actually, let's no, just we've seen have Edgar a nice Wright cup do. of tea and wait for all, all this, this to blow, blow over. <laughs> but no, everyone's You, you like, want to see England reacting to the apocalypse? Sean, Sean of the, the Dead. Um... But, but the whole thing about, um, you know, I'm, oh dear God, I'm going to be judged. I can't cope with this. Mm. That's not about faith. It's certainly not about God. That's about you. That's about your perception of yourself. And people go through that on a daily basis. They do not need, you, you, you don't need to use threat of eternal judgment to bring that out and examine it especially if you're then going to not examine it they haven't got time they move forward quick plop, plop, there plop. is no there is no looking into what fiona's going through on this how she drew the conclusions that she draws how she processes it or anything you have her screaming at her husband as he drives off down the the road what about me and then it cuts to the uh, the end of it and she's trying to kill her kids and herself and and uh, i mean they, they say about this whole thing she grunts, you jumped ahead of it i yeah. am but it's it's relevant to this particular point okay she's, she's grinding up all the sleeping pills in the house to put in the kids orange juice and herself she's going to kill her kids in a murder suicide yeah and again this happens people do this yeah um, it's portrayed by Russell T. Davis as she's going to be trying, trying to be clever and get sneaky and sneak into heaven before God knows. The idea being that if you're already dead, God can't judge you. Brilliant. That's not how Judgment Day works. Brilliant. Even if you believe in Judgment Day, as I understand it, the parameters are God is going to wake everybody up and then judge them. Also, how the hell are you going to get into heaven? Like, well, so what did you do? Um, may have killed 
myself, well we frown on that here, mm. uh, may also have killed my kids, Ooh, we definitely, definitely frown, frown on, on that, that here. Also, Off to hell you go, if, or uh, limbo. If we're doing the idea of Judgment Day, um, I think this might just be the Jehovah's Witness take on Judgment Day, but that this would actually make sense for heaven being empty, um, because nobody goes anywhere until the end of the world and Judgment Day happening. <sighs> They're all just kind of in this non-existing limbo. Otherwise known as limbo. Until then. I think. I could be wrong. If there's any Jehovah's Witnesses listening and you want to correct me, please do. I want to talk to Jehovah's Most Secret Witness. If they dedicated themselves to Christmas. And I just like I love it till the day I die. Oh, we could be talking about community seasons four through seven. Right. I think... I think... And this is where I'm, I'm going to sound awfully judgy of Russell T. Davis. Four through six. And I apologise. But... And a movie. I think part of what feels weird and wrong about this whole thing is if you're going to examine so closely the reaction of people who are of the Christian faith, you need to be, if not of the Christian faith yourself now, at least intimately familiar with it. Yeah, this requires research. This requires tact and research, neither of which seem to have been put the through. Basic knowledge of people yeah. would help. So anyway, Jesus, Stephen, Stephen Christ, uh, has sex with um, Judith Judy. at last. Mm-hmm. Like, they've never actually uh, done anything like that before. Like, she's his friend, but they've never been that close. I mean, did they ever have a... Is that really explained? Well, the, the beginning, the the uh, she's just got divorced. Mm. The point of them being out that night at the beginning of it is that they're celebrating the fact that she's just got divorced. They've been friends for years. They almost kiss. Then he gets abducted by mm. the bright beam of light. Um, they do have a conversation about the fact that he, either he had a crush on her at school or she had a crush on him at school, but um, nothing ever happened about it. And they're kind of lamenting the fact that they never did anything when they were younger. Um, and um, uh, I think he explains it away that he didn't ask her out because she was always with other boys and he she didn't ask him out because she was waiting for somebody better. Fascinating. Um, so, yeah, they have sex. It doesn't really change that much. I think they just, like, they feel interwoven with one another. Uh, Frank, his dad, is now furious at being Joseph, at this point, like, if you feel like you've been cucked by the Almighty himself, at this point, maybe just step down and go, you know what, fair dues. He can be wherever he wants. He's ineffable. But no, he's he's furious. And a bunch of, like, shiny-eyed policemen um, help him by giving him a Glock. And he uh, comes storming into their um, reading the New Testament party and uh, starts to open fire. And there's a big shouty... Um, like standoff, and eventually he shoots Pete. Did we mention Pete? Pete's another one of their friends. Oh, Pete's another one of their friends. He's so, like, he's so the friend of of Stephen. I can't, I can't think of anything else about Pete apart from the fact that he dies, and he was going to help him. Uh, he was going to help to read the testaments. Mm, yeah. yeah, but the, it's he's a nice guy. The but way he, he takes no real part in proceedings apart from being shot. There is a bit of a significance in the way he dies because ultimately Frank is not there to kill Pete. He's no, he's there, there to, to kill, kill Stephen. Steve. And he fails. But Pete believes, or does not believe, that uh, that Stephen is invulnerable. 
at this stage. So he stands in front of Steve well, he's not. to protect him. He turns out later to be vulnerable. Well, no, but that's for a very specific reason. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. They never really Judy, laid down the rules. Judy points out... Because basically, Judy keeps saying to Is Pete... Is he a level five mutant? Get out, I think he might be. <laughs> Judy keeps saying to Pete, get out the way. He, You know, he... Is invulnerable if he shoots him, he's fine. You, you, however, he can perform miracles and will die. Say to Doctor Manhattan, you could have turned the gun into flowers. Yeah, absolutely. But the the point of the him being vulnerable later on is that basically he can die when it is the right time for him to die. Okay. Uh, So yeah, either way, Frank, uh, the it would appear stepfather uh, is riven with guilt because he shot Pete. This scene, by the way, is fucking awful. It's terrible. I hate this. The, this is he, one he of the worst in scenes in the and he thing. puts on awful some music. kind of brain-splitting dance music that yep. then proceeds, proceeds to play too loud throughout the whole thing. I'm assuming He's it's just trying meant to cover to up evoke, the shouting. Yeah, I'm assuming it's meant to evoke some kind of sense of confusion and... And uh, chaos and disorder just comes off as very annoying. It just feels like. Judith goes to the fat demon's house for tea. Why? He's already proved he's a demon. So she sits down with him and then he chats with her about this and that and influences her. And uh, this is... He tries to influence her. Yeah. Then he tells her, oh, your friend's going to die now. And then she rushes to her friend Fiona's house, which is now where Fiona's trying to kill herself and the kids. And she's like banging on the window, let me in. And it's straight out of that bit at the end of Devil's Advocate. Yeah. Uh, and rather than the, the, the terrible thing happening, which she's unable to stop, which would, by the way, have pushed her over the edge to do what she ultimately does, mm. she, uh, the uh, mother relents and decides not to, uh, which makes it not shocking and just a, a near miss. Not that I actually wanted her to kill her kids. It's... Or herself. Or just herself but not her kids. I don't know. That scene just made me feel ridiculously uncomfortable. And the, yeah, the, it's, the, it's the so hot. The up as well. The, the guy, Johnny, um, saying that the, the demon, again, reiterating the idea that the devil finds his way in through the little bastard thoughts at the back of your mind, um, that ultimately... Uh, demons and devils are very human and that's how they can find their way into human bodies but he then says the moment you believe you despair and once you despair you're mine so that means everyone who believes in god is the devils what and is what do these people think faith is yeah no that's uh that's wildly misjudged one thing we didn't mention is that there's a bizarre sequence around about the middle of this where people are turning against Jesus on the telly and Johnny's watching in his flat and he's rolling around on his bed like a little piggy, kicking his naked heels in the air and giggling and slapping his tummy and just giggling and giggling and giggling. This goes on for what feels like 15 minutes. He's getting a riotous amount of pleasure from seeing people turn against Jesus. All the time rubbing his little belly. It's mismatched. Um, so anyway, Stephen, who's miserable over the death of Pete, goes to uh, visit um, Judith. 
and uh, says, what are you doing? And she goes, cooking your pasta with rat poison in it. Do you want a beer? That's literally a quote from, mm. from it, and it's exactly how she says it. And he's like, what? Rat poison? And she goes, yeah, I think it's strychnine or something like, you've got to die. This is my testament. My testament is that we don't need you. We should just be able to proceed without you. You and your dad need to, you know, shut up shop. And over the course of five minutes or so of him going, nah, she convinces him. And that's the point of this, mm. that uh, Russell T. Davis is suggesting that um, if the Christian God shuts up shop and no longer does anything anymore and Jesus accepts defeat, then uh, then that will change things mm. very significantly. He's not saying it will be bad. He's not saying it will be good. It's a you decide. Did she do the right thing poisoning Jesus? Because eventually is, he does guzzle it down and goes, and this dies. This is the problem with, with the way this is presented. If the purpose of this is to stimulate debate... Where is the other argument? Where are the people making the point that faith is a good and beautiful thing that saves people? Where are the people presenting the reasons? Yeah, there's no counter argument. In which case, basically, if it is a, did she do the right thing or not? It's like, well, I hope you bought something good to the party that wasn't in this because we're not going to present you with any kind of counter argument. You've got to bring that yourself if you want to counter this point. At this stage, I was trying desperately to work out what the point of all this was. The only thing I could really come up with was the idea that having proof of faith makes people existentially desperate because having the the articles of their faith presented to them as actual facts then leaves them in the position of, well, what do I actually believe in? Now, that has been explored to great depth with remarkable efficiency and hilarious comedy by Terry Pratchett. The idea that witches really struggle with the idea of belief because they deal with demons and and, uh, ineffable forces on a day-to-day basis. So faith is useless to them. That I find intriguing and brilliant and hilarious. This, not so much. Um, there's also the element of, um, you know, this idea that it, there's no more heaven and hell once this is all over, you're on your own, as in humans are on their own. So that completely throws out the idea of trying to find the balance between heaven and hell. And for the record, the way heaven and hell are generally presented by um, uh, uh, Abrahamic faiths, particularly Christianity, is this idea that there is spirit and flesh and that humans are kind of caught in this bit between the two which fits perfectly with the philosophical idea that we are both animal and immortal and we have to find a way to balance how do you strip that out what are you left with robots I mean, what if you if you remove the two extremes that we've been trying to find a balance between since humans stepped down out of a tree and went, I have a name for that thing. It's a, I don't know, a rock. Um, you know, the it, it throws all of that idea out. It makes everything totally centric around this idea of not even faith, not even belief, but very specifically belief in this particular God. It is so religiocentric and and isolates the the ideas that are being presented into something that's that's summed up in a yes or no answer. Um and, and it just presumes that everyone affected by this 
believes in this God, fears the judgment of this God and would react in this over the top way when presented with the idea that they're going to be judged by this God. And exactly like you said, those statistics completely demonstrate that there would be so many people just going, well, I don't, this is not a God I believe in. Why would his judgment bother me one way or the other? Also, I only just got that they, hmm, Judith, Judas, it's a little on the nose. They effectively combined the Mary Magdalene and Judas Iscariot roles. She betrayed him and kissed him. But at the same time, that betrayal was supposed to happen, question mark? And it's, it's you know, there, there is faith that goes without God as well. There are lots of non-theistic faiths and, and religions that believe in something, believe in, in spirit, believe in something that goes on after you die, but don't necessarily think it's a guy on a cloud with a spike threatening to poke you if you don't do what you're told. I mean, it, it's if you sum it up as anything, it's effectively the idea that if humankind are going to grow up, they have to murder their parents. Yes. There's a very specific reason why God is the God, capital G, father of everything. Um, the, the, he is presented over and over as the All-Father. This is effectively a story about killing your father so that you can proceed onwards no longer in his footsteps. Mm, yeah. Also, I think I might have said this in a, in a previous podcast because we were talking about something similar, but uh, Tyler Durden's line in Fight Club about um, if our, our fathers, fathers are the our models model for God. For God. If, if our fathers bailed, what does that, what does tell, that us tell us about, about God? God? It's bass ackwards. It definitely is. God is your model for your father. And that's what you expect. And when it doesn't meet expectations, people get unhappy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like then, then it kind of ends. It, it goes like two years later. One thing before, like on his way to her house, uh, Stephen Christ walks past, like it's all desolate and like there's bags blowing around the place and it looks like two days later. Uh, there's a sort of like a couple of uh, uh, guys driving around in a car and going, You Woo! wish for Killian Murphy at this point. Yes. I know yes, I, I was. But ironically, he was in 28 days later. I know! So just wait 26 days, then it'll be really impressive. Mm, yes. Um, but yeah, so it's like the suddenly after two years, or is it two years? Oh no, actually, it's got to be like, uh, it's got to be a few. Like, like three or four years, considering mm. what's happened to Judith. Yeah. Uh, and Judith sort of walking around, going to the supermarket and sort of chatting to the camera like the whole thing was a documentary. And she was like, yeah, just like after that, everyone knew that Jesus was dead. We just sort of got on with our lives, really. And it's, uh, you know, people like people see her in the supermarket and go, do you think that's her? She's the one who actually killed Jesus with rat poison. No. Guess what? She's going to be stabbed. Like, like straight away. You killed Jesus. Straight away. Someone would take it upon themselves to kill her. And guess what? You wouldn't have Jesus around to save you with a miracle. She is a dead woman. Mm. That, that's a certainty. Also, that's not saying everyone who loves Jesus would do that. But there's someone out there who loves Jesus enough to avenge him. Holy shit, Willem Dafoe played Jesus in Last Temptation of Christ. Avenge me. Avenge me! No! Where are all the people going, Yay, it's the rapture! 
Yeah, no, basically just everyone's going to the supermarket and they're buying Happy Meals at the McDonald's and they're just carrying on and it's very much the same as it was before. And everyone's kind of taken the fact that God's no longer in operation in their stride. And everyone unanimously believes this and there's no debate. There's a bit of a kind of a, did she do the right thing or not? But that's about it. Everyone has just taken on board at this point. It was like, well, there's no God anymore because he's just kind of, he's gone. Isn't this, he? He's just gone. This is so I wonder what happens when we die of, then. This is just go to a Chinese of, restaurant. This is going to sound ridiculously heartless, and if you want to cut this bit out, then feel free. Um, the whole idea that, that people responded in this way and just got on with their lives when they found out that God wasn't doing his God thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, After what must, must have been a string of really terrible incidents, which would have emotionally scarred the entire planet. Presumably, but we don't get to see any of that. Um, but Dogs and cats what, are still living what, together. What springs <clears throat> to mind is, what was God doing before this that was of such significance that, that people would lament his absence? Well, they never actually say, before he dies, whether God was doing stuff or not. Or not. Right. Which, again, is all part of this, you know, like, uh, is he now, is he still doing stuff, but you don't know he is? Mm. Or is he not doing stuff? Was this all just a great big test and we failed or did we pass? It's like, you know, all good debate. But ultimately, there are no fucking answers. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of briefly made me think of, of the fact that my, my grandfather died um, a few years ago. And when I found out... Um, I was sad, um, and I, I thought, oh, that's a shame that he's gone. But he moved to New Zealand when I was about 12, yeah. and I hadn't seen him for getting on two decades by that point. And although, yes, it was very sad to know that he was no longer in the world, and obviously I was very sad for the, the people who were um, in close proximity to him, um, and like my mum and, and people who were, were going to be directly affected. There was a part of me that was saying, nothing actually changes here. I didn't have a massive amount of contact with him. I'm going to have slightly less now. And that was kind of what this made me think of. What's the difference between before God goes and after God goes? What's changed? Not a lot. And people would recreate a new God. Well, yeah. People who need a God would bring him back. If God did not exist, man would create him. That's yeah. kind of how it works. The the sheer, like, in this day and age, the census numbers suggesting that only 1.5 people in a room, only, only 15% of people don't really need a religion of any kind. Absolutely. 15% across the whole world suggests religion is kind of important to a lot of people. Yeah. So if they, if they don't have this particular God... They'd find something else. And the Christian God is a resurrecting God anyway. You could always bring them back. Oh, God. <laughs> More than anything else, this film comes off as naive. It's not spiteful or really all that antagonistic to people like us, though I could see it being challenging to the devoutly religious in the other 85%. <laughs> it ultimately feels, although the 85% aren't necessarily devoutly religious, there will be a percentage of that 85% who are specifically going to be impassioned by this. It, speaking of passion, this kind of is like the Passion of the Christ 2, the very, very low-budget version. 
It ultimately feels like a short story written by a teenager, aiming for profound and ending up confused. It definitely doesn't play well now, 14 years after its first screening, in a world given to be a lot more cynical than the one on display, one linked by social media where fame, celebrity, claims of fake news, hysteria, flaming reactions and backlash to the backlash are all just part of the exhausting grind of navigating daily information. In effect, if Jesus did turn up today, there would be some impassioned positive reactions as well as terrible ones and chaos and riots, murder and suicide, but people would also get bored of him. And BuzzFeed articles with speculative top five other deities who might return to the earth <laughs> would become the new hot take on the physical embodiment of the Holy Spirit. A big part of me would love to believe that we could grow as a species and unify from this event. But the only way I personally suspect that that could happen is if multiple prophets did come back for a reboot. Otherwise, the essential thesis that Baxter Christ laid down would be swept aside once again by opportunistic, greedy, heartless men looking to consolidate power and using his appearance on Earth to do so. There was none of that in this film. In effect, it is they that we need to move past. Now, before we go, what's a good alternative to this? Because Rowan's going to be heartbroken that we were not fans. But there's got to be some good alternatives out there, some, like, good versions of this. Interesting theological discussions. I'm going to suggest that they be kind of funny, because this is also very po-faced, despite the fact that, like, Christopher Eccleston's a little bit of a wide boy in it, or at least the Mancunian version of that. Um, and he's quite offhand at times, but it's very serious the whole way through. Yeah. It's, it, it is not a comedic story mm. at all. So, your suggestions. Um, okay, if we're, if we're stepping outside the visual media, I would say Pratchett, read Small Gods. I was going to say Good Omens. Yeah, Good Omens as well. Good yeah. Omens or Small Gods. You yeah. can't go wrong with Pratchett. You really can't. And also Good Omens is also written by, co-written by Neil, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. So yeah. it's got that uh, mythical side of it as well. Yeah. It's old now, but I think it's being brought back for a TV series anyway, so you might as well get in on the ground floor. Score. Um, it's been in, it's of, been in almost about to be made for years. Yeah, it's really difficult to find movies that um, present this because releasing. Do you remember the shit that shitstorm that surrounded Dogma? I remember the shitstorm that was in Dogma. Nice, high five. Um, <laughs> Don't recommend Dogma, I think folks. Probably the closest that you'd get is something like Bruce Almighty. Like, really ineffective. If we're not counting Life of Brian? Oh, God. Yeah. Life of Brian. Life of Brian. Folks, if if for some reason you haven't seen Life of Brian, but you've sat through us talking about this film, I would say you've wasted the last hour and a half when you could have been watching Life of Brian. But instead, take what we've said, go and watch Life of Brian, and use it to to analyse it on on your own terms. And Mm. we may one day do a uh, show on Life of Brian. Mm. It's brilliant. It is. Superb. Um, I'd also say Preacher, the comic, not necessarily the TV show right now. Does also play with the idea that that God's not there anymore. Yeah. 
It's a lot harsher than this, though. It's very violent. It's mm-hmm. absolutely sexually disgusting. Ridiculously sweary. You you gotta have a strong stomach yeah. to so uh, contend with. Breacher. Approach with caution. Yeah, and uh, it's also quite objectionable in certain other ways. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it has some some interesting philosophical ideas. Mm. Um, I will be interested to see if they actually push on and continue the series and do like. It would have to be ten more seasons because that first season, which we've not yet seen, you have to sit there with a tick sheet going right. They left it's that just out. A friggin prologue. That's not in there. I can think of at least three characters that they would not touch with a barge pole. Uh, anything else that we can recommend that's theological in nature, challenging, interesting, fun, preferably? Ah, oh, actually, actually, yes. You want a film about the human race being judged and the possible um, apocalypse that might come of it? The World's End by Edgar Wright. Ooh, yeah. It's all about the human race being judged. It is, yeah. No, I like that. That's yeah. good. Okay. <sighs> we apologise to Rowan for tearing this thing to shreds. To shreds, you say? Uh, there are no guarantees, folks. If you uh, if you put something in front of us that, that you want us to really get our teeth into, sometimes we can be savage. To shreds, you say? And we are not necessarily going to go easier just because it's... Uh, Commission. In fact, if anything, we're going to uh, enter into it with more gusto. Because we won't have had years of getting used to it and uh, accommodating for its flaws, our analytical minds will be on high alert. Sometimes that means that we will see a lot more in a film that we didn't previously get anything out of before, like Congo we saw a remarkable amount from. Certainly in terms of fun we hadn't previously had with it. And sometimes it means that something that we would normally just have turned off in boredom or disgust we'll see through to the end but we will fully lay it out for you and we're going to leave you with footage from a gathering in manchester just a lot of people who had come together in the street to grieve to come to terms with the tragedy and to derive a little comfort from a little unity after a moment of silence entirely unbidden one lone woman began singing from the crowd a familiar song from Sons of the City. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's School's Out. out.
Thank you.